Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, you and I, we have not uh, missed any episodes, but we've had to do a lot of juggling, a lot of uh, traveling and various special events, but it's good to be with you in the studio here in the middle of this week. And on the right week. So, right week. <laughs> so that that makes a big difference, and we're, we're glad we could do that. So this past Sunday, you had a great lesson from the Book of Numbers. We don't do a lot of preaching from the Book of Numbers, but it's a powerful book. And it's when the spies went into the land and they saw all the plentiful fruit and all the great things. And it looked like it's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful trip that God's going to take them all. But then they saw the fortified cities. They saw all the other people that were in the land. And most of the spies became overwhelmed. And at the end of Numbers 13, they came back and said, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. And you took off of that phrase and talked about, we seem like grasshoppers. Let's, let's first of all talk about that phrase. What, what was that supposed to mean? Yeah, I, I, I thought a lot about that as I was preparing that sermon of all the ways they could describe themselves. And I, I, I can only guess, I mean, from one perspective, maybe it's just we seem very small and insignificant, easily stepped on. We know that uh, they describe many giants in the land. And so if you think of a giant stepping on something, maybe you, you would think of a, a grasshopper. They're definitely not thinking in terms of like the locusts that they had seen in Egypt, right? They were, they had a front row seat to plague after plague after plague. And some of them were, you know, these insects, gnats and flies and locusts. Uh, they're not confident that, okay, we're going to go in and, and, and swarm these people. They seem really small, maybe making a little bit of noise, but what are they going to be in the face of giants in the land? That's, I, I think, what they're despairing about. I think, I think that is. You know, it's to, to describe themselves as a hornet or of a bee, yeah, we get, we get the impression of what that's going to do. You know, there, there's some, but we, we don't worry about grasshoppers. I yeah. mean, they, they may startle us when they fly. Fly up, or or we may make kind of sickness when we crunch one, but but you know there's not a threat by grasshoppers, and that was the impression. Here, God is purposely putting us into this land, and it tells us this is going to be our land, but it's already inhabited, and we have the task of driving out all these people as God wants us to. But we're like grasshoppers. We're, we're not we're not like mighty lions coming in there and we're going to be fierce and take them over. Uh, it's like we're powerless. What can we do? And this really was a statement that was lacking faith. And that was really what was driving behind there. So a little bit of background here. Then let's let's just kind of talk about the lesson itself. First of all, kind of give us a little overview of what you went with. Sure. You know, numbers, the book, is full of a whole lot of numbers. And it, it can be a difficult section of Scripture to read. But we do have these various hyster- historical points in the narrative that 
that shift a little at times. And Numbers 13 is a major turning point. I mean, they are on the doorstep, right? We went back and just briefly rehearsed from, for instance, Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in the burning bush and says, I've come down to deliver and I've come to bring you to the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was more than 400 years prior, of course. In Exodus chapter 6, he assures Moses, I'm going to bring you into this land and I'm going to give it to you. And he tells them, if time allowed, we could go back and read there in Exodus 6. He lists the people who are in the land, right? Ammonites and Edomites and Moabites and uh, Amalekites and all of these various natives uh, of the land of Canaan. They're there, but I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt and I'm going to give you this land. Well, he leads them, of course, across the Red Sea down to Mount Sinai. They spend significant time there receiving the law, entering into this covenant with him. And then they're led north from Sinai up to the doorstep of the promised land. And it's there in Numbers 13 that God says to Moses, I want you to send these spies into that land. Well, let me ask you something right there, because over and over, as you have said, and the text tells us many times throughout this, that God's going to give them the land. Uh, I mean, it wasn't up in the air, we might get it, hope you're strong enough, boys, hang in there. Uh, It's a promise. I'm going to give you this land. But if that's the case, why send the spies? What was God intending for them to do with that. Yeah, again, I mean, we can only speculate based on what we have, but we've been doing a lot of reading here lately, not only in our our daily Bible reading schedule. I've been working through this section of Scripture in some of our building blocks track of studies, and it sure does seem to me that God is teaching these people to trust him. I I think that's at the heart of it. I mean, he leads them out uh, after that exodus to the brink of the Red Sea and then has them, of course, step into that dry seabed and pass through the night through that Red Sea. Of all the ways God could deliver them, why that? Well, I, I think he's teaching them to trust him. And then after that Red Sea crossing, if we read carefully, they go three days without water. I mean, God could have provided water in any way uh, that, that he saw fit. Even before they got thirsty, he could have provided water. But he allows them to go three days and then performs a miracle. He allows them to go quite a ways into the wilderness before providing the manna. And if you remember, he tells them, I only want you to gather enough for today, your day's bread. Don't get any more than that. Uh, he, he takes them a little further and makes water flow out of the rock. Over and over again, we could look at, at various instances. It sure does seem to me he's, he's teaching them to trust him. He, he fully intends for them to see not just the blessings in this land, but the very serious obstacles 
so that they know when they are successful. Listen, the only way this happened, this was the Lord's doing. He he wants them to act by faith in him. I think that's it exactly, because had they gone in without seeing it, you know, they're walking up to these fortified cities for the first time, well, they wouldn't have known. But they went back home and told the rest of the nation they knew what they were going to get into. They knew how many people they were. They knew how large these cities were, how how tall the forts were. And so it was going to be a matter of trusting God. And we're not the people to do this. We're grasshoppers. But with God, we can do these things. Now, of the 12 spies, you know, one from each of the tribes, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a favorable, faithful report. We can do this because God said so. The other 10 saw the, all the crops and the, the fruit and all that, and they were very happy about that. But when they saw the forts, they saw the people, their hearts melted. Yeah. They couldn't do that. And I think there's a lesson right there because the discouragement didn't come from outside sources. It came from within their own people. And sometimes we can discourage each other if we're not careful about what we do with these things. No doubt. I I mean, Moses' last recorded words before they go into the land is, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. I, I think when we think of discouragement in those sorts of terms, they come back, the people are anxious to hear, 10 of the 12 says, it's amazing, but there's no way we can do this. We seem like grasshoppers. We're going to be devoured. And the people, it is as if their courage is just completely blown away like chaff in the wind by the report of 10 of the 12 of these spies. And it gets so bad that they want to go back to Egypt. Yeah. I mean, they think, you know, you brought us out here and now we're going to be slaughtered and our our wives and children are going to be taken. And this is a disaster. And so uh, it just shows that they had left God and uh, completely on their own with that. Well, you know, from that inner lesson, you talked about when we seem like grasshoppers to others. Yeah. And we bring this up to our modern times today, and that that can be an impression we have. You know, the, the world looks at the Lord's church. They look at Christianity as its uh, primitive nature in the New Testament. Uh, we may seem like grasshoppers, and why would that be? Yeah. Well, it is, I, I think, the fundamental difference of seeing as God sees versus seeing as people who have their minds set on the things of of this world sees. This world is impressed by wealth, physical material wealth, and power, military power, or, you know, physical, individual physical strength. We're impressed by stature and outward looks and influence. I mean, even we live in an era right now where even from very young ages, our young people attach a certain amount of influence and importance and value based on how many people follow you on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or or, or Facebook. And the more people who follow you, the more important uh, you must be. I just briefly referenced where God 
remind Samuel when Samuel is looking for the next king of Israel, I don't see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. And so if we're talking about an individual, uh, the, the outward body, how young are you? How strong are you? How much money you have? Or if we're talking about a, a collection of people, if we're talking about a, a local church, if we're talking about churches of Christ all over the place. Maybe in the eyes of others, they would say, well, that's a relatively small, insignificant group of people. What real difference could they make? And if we follow the world's lead in looking at ourselves by the world's standards, it's really easy to get discouraged, right? Disillusioned. Well, it is. And, you know, the world would be impressed by things like a, an earthly headquarters or a big organizational structure, a big power base. And you've got this, uh, you know, running like the government. We've got all these layers of managers and people who are ambassadors and sent all over these places and everything. And that's not the nature of the New Testament church. It, it never was that way. Jesus even referred to it in the parables. It's going to start off like a mustard seed, yeah. but it's going to grow. And, and so when we think about how Jesus chose 12 people, and there wasn't a B team. There wasn't a JV team. We're going to bring up, they messed up. Yet those 12 became the nucleus of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Again, they did that without a PR team. They did that without networking and all the things that uh, modern business says is necessary to succeed. So, so from that standpoint, the world looks at this and says, you know, the church we read about in the Bible, it doesn't look like a business, and it's not. It doesn't operate like a business, and it doesn't. And how can it succeed? Because it seems so insignificant. But to this day, all across this world, there are people being made disciples of Jesus because of this powerful, powerful Word of God. And that really goes back to the fundamental element of trust, right? Will we walk by faith in God, in God's way? Will we follow His instructions even when it seems like, well, maybe those out in the world have a, a better way of approaching this. It's, it's not all that long after this situation in numbers that we come across, for instance, Joshua leading the people into the land and coming across Jericho. There was no army, no general or commander on the planet who would believe that this is the way to conquer Jericho. March around the walls seven days in a row, and on the seventh day, march around seven times, and then blow a bunch of trumpets and shout and expect the walls to fall down. Nobody would have bought into that. But those were God's instructions, and God's way worked. The same choice is before all of us today. It is. And so when when we look at that last verse in Numbers 13, when the people said we are like grasshoppers in their sight, they really weren't grasshoppers. Uh, they would go in this promised land and they would be conquerors. It wasn't because of their strength, but the strength of God. And so a lot of times people may put a label on this. They may say things, but it doesn't mean it's true. And we have to see what's behind all those things. Well, let, let's kind of go to this question. What, what impresses God? Yeah. We talked about how the world is impressed with labels and wealth and status and degrees. What impresses God? Yeah, I, 
as I was preparing this, I was really struck by Caleb and Joshua's words in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 8, as they're trying to breathe courage back into these discouraged people, they say, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. That word delight uh, sent me on a, a, a particular trail as I was studying and uh, included several things uh, in the sermon. We don't have to speculate as to what the Lord delights in. I, I referenced Samuel earlier. Samuel told King Saul in First Samuel 15, more than he delights in burnt offerings and sacrifices, the Lord delights in obeying his voice, listening to him. In Psalm 51, David says, you delight in truth in the inward being. Psalm 147, the psalmist says, God's delight isn't in the strength of a horse or his pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. He, he said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9, if you're going to boast, boast in the fact that you understand and know me. It sure does sound to me like when we fear God, when we believe his promises, when we walk in his paths, even when we're going upstream from the world, that not only impresses the Lord, but he, he delights in that. I, I think of that from the standpoint of a, a father with my own children. I mean, if they do well on a test, of course, I, I, I'm going to be proud of them, especially if I know that they've worked hard. But there's a difference between noticing something, even commending something and delighting in something. When God's children walk by faith, he delights in us. I think I think of a couple times in the New Testament where the passage says that Jesus marveled. Uh, we may use the word wow. You know, you know what, what impresses God? You know, you you take a piece of paper and you fold it up into a paper airplane and you mail it down to NASA and say, hey, look what I did. They're not going to be impressed with that. I mean, anybody can make a paper airplane, make a rocket, and that's impressive. And so, so what impressed Jesus was a centurion who came to Jesus because his servant was injured, and he wanted Jesus to heal him, and he said, you don't even have to come. Just say the word. You have authority. That impressed Jesus. He marveled, the Bible says. A Syrophoenician woman whose, whose daughter was demon-possessed. She was begging Jesus to come and, and to help uh, her daughter. And, and Jesus did. He marveled at her faith. That's what impresses Jesus. Is, is, is the idea of faith. It's not our slick clothes. It's not the cars we have, the square foot in our house, how big our TV is. Those are things we always ask about. Uh, what's, the, what's the brand of your watch? What's this? What's that? Those things don't impress God. What impresses God is a simple person that believes in him. And so that teaches us that 
here's somebody maybe listening to us, and maybe you, you've never gone to college, and maybe you have no degrees, and maybe you think, you know what, I, I, I'm nobody. Society says I am nothing. Maybe you're a housewife, and you're taking care of those little ones at home, and society says, what a waste. The God of heaven doesn't. The God of heaven sees the faith you have in your heart toward him. You're trusting him. That's what impresses him. And I think this great lesson reminds us of this. The world calls us grasshoppers, but God doesn't. Yeah, and if that impresses God, if it makes him marvel and and he delights in that, shouldn't that lead us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be sources of encouragement to each other? The last thing that we ought to be to each other are, are sources of discouragement. And so maybe even today in the middle of this week, you have the opportunity to exhort someone else, encourage someone else, breathe new life and refreshment into someone else. That is, that's never wasted effort. So this is Wednesday, and we'll be meeting this evening, and we welcome all of our listeners to come to our Bible classes if you're able to do that. Jason, you're doing what this evening? We are wrapping up a month-long series in our Building Blocks track of studies where we've been exploring what is love. And tonight we're going to look at that statement in 1 Corinthians 13, love never Fails. What did the Apostle Paul mean by that, and, and how can we apply that to our lives? We'd love to have you in that Building Blocks track of studies. Roger, you're going to be in the auditorium. And we're kind of doing a month-by-month study as well. We're talking about honoring God this month. And so we're going to wrap this up this evening by talking about we honor God by being like Jesus. And how does that honor God, and what does that look like as we kind of go through some of those things there? It will be Sunday before we know it. Roger, 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning. What do you have lined up? We're going to talk about salvation, and we're going to talk about the right answers to the right questions and kind of look at some simple things to our Bibles about how one comes to Jesus Christ. On Sunday night, we're going to go back to the book of Hebrews in our New Testaments. Our annual theme is, I am His he is mine. We're going to look in Hebrews at different ways that Jesus is described. And I think if we just notice these various descriptions and titles of Jesus, it will impress on us not only what it means that we are his, but what a blessing it is for us to be able to say, he is mine. We've got a lot to look forward to. Roger, I appreciate you joining me today. We appreciate all of you for listening to this week at Charlestown Road. We'd love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.